After years spent touring the world with pop and jazz legends like Julio Iglesias and Babic Reinhardt, pianist Chad Lawson was hungry to find a more intimate avenue for his curiosity and creativity. So he began composing short, ethereal works for solo piano, several of which made their way onto his debut album, 2009's Set on a Hill. Although he began composing as a way to find quiet calm after years on the road, Lawson quickly saw the effect his music had on people all over the globe. He received countless emails from listeners who had found in Lawson's album the solace they needed to deal with hardships in their personal lives. And in the 15 years since that flood of emails began, Lawson has grown a devoted fan base. His music has received more than 500 million streams, and every week, 60,000 people listen to his podcast called Calm It Down. On his most recent album, Breathe, it's clear Lawson has forged a career that's less concerned about his popularity as an artist and more about helping people improve their emotional and mental health. In this episode, we talk more about the new album, and Lawson shares profound insights into the creative process behind his music. He also talks more about the marriage of music and mental health, the ways transcendental meditation helps him quiet his racing mind, and his favorite Brooklyn pastry shop for what he calls the best donuts on the planet. Music is central to our well-being. If you're listening here, chances are you feel the same. The Classical Post podcast uncovers the creativity that exists behind great music. We believe music is interconnected with other art forms and life experiences. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, but is often influenced by other sources. No matter who you are, cultivating your creativity is fundamental to being better in business and living a more holistic life. Discover more on this podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Eifert. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you find something valuable in this episode. Chad Lawson. Yeah, so I was brought up classically trained. I started playing at the age of five, playing the piano. I'm 47, and I still take piano lessons to this day. Um, so I grew up classical, and then when, because I wanted to go to a conservatory in Baltimore, and that was like, that's all I thought about. And when I was in high school, I was approached by a local wedding corporate band and said, hey, do you want to make some extra money playing keyboards, you know, on the weekends? And I was like, sure. You know what? 16, 18 year old kid doesn't want to be doing that. And then I started like, they were like, great, here's the set list. We'll see you next weekend. And it was all these songs that like I'd never heard before. It was like, you know, Stevie Wonder and the police and like, like, what? What is this magic that I'm hearing? And so I was like, this is really fascinating. So I started to hear like new color of stuff that I had never heard before. So long story short, fast forward, um, I decided to go to Berkeley for two years up in Boston. And I'm not an academia block kind of learner. I'm one of the self learners. So if I want to learn something, I'm going to dive all in, but I'm not really like a, you know, brick and mortar kind of, kind of thing. So after two years, I left Berkeley, much to my mother's chagrin. And um, took a tour with a jazz guitarist named Babik Reinhardt. And Babik is the son of the infamous Django Reinhardt. So I took a tour with him and then basically just started learning music on my own. 
as far as like jazz and like everything else. And fast forward, and eventually I land a tour with Julio Iglesias for a, a summer tour. And it was one night during this tour, it was in Valladolid, Spain, and there's like 30,000 people. And I just had this idea of like, you know, if he can do this, I can do this. Why am I not doing this? You know? And so I went home and I was like, I'm going to start like working in my own, like, you know, compositions and whatnot. And that was in 2008, 2009 is when I released that album. And I've just slowly, little by little, just continued to, you know, work on music that is meant to heal. Because what was going on with my life during that time is I was going through some, uh, some really personal health issues. I had ulcerative colitis. And wow. so it was one of those things that like really, I found comfort in that music. And so like what I would do for that very first solo piano recording is, you know, I would play the track and then I would lay underneath the piano while the producer and my wife, they went in and would like listen to the songs and say, okay, well, let's do this one again. This one's fine. And it was really interesting because like I had, you know, transitioned into jazz prior to that. And I really loved jazz because that's where a lot of my color came from. But returning to this music of creating something to heal myself, when that album came out, I had so many emails of people saying, hey, I'm going through a really difficult time in my life right now. I'm going through a divorce or I just watched a loved one pass of, you know, whatever it may be. And your music is really helping me through this. And at that point that I was like, huh, okay, that's really interesting. Because I never got those emails with jazz, right? So it's like, you know, I started realizing the emotion of music. And then there was one email that I'll never forget. This lady wrote, it was 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. And she said, I'm listening to one of your songs. And the tempo of the song, the pacing of it, matches the pacing of my husband's breath as he takes his last one. And at that point, that's when it was like, okay, this is not about me. This is not about Chad Blossom. This is not about like seeing my name in a marquee or something. This is about creating something that's literally going to help people. And that's kind of where we are. So even with this latest album, Breathe, that's still part of the conversation. It's that album, Breathe, it's meant to invite people to be okay with what we've been through, be it the last two years, be it the last two hours, last two decades, and to find that place where we can just kind of exhale everything that we've been carrying with us that we no longer need. And that's why it's actually titled Breathe. But during all of this, and right before the pandemic started, I had been studying the music and mental health, marriage. Like, yes, music makes us feel good, but why? Like scientifically, neurologically speaking, what's going on? And what I came across is a study that really fascinated me. It was by Harvard and Oxford Press, and it said listening to calming music for three to five minutes elevates what's called BDNFs, which is, in short, it's a happy hormone. And so like when you exercise or when you get coffee with a friend or you go walk in nature, you're raising these happy hormones in your body. That's why we feel good. The science is to this. But the interesting thing that I found is that with music, it was one of those, that music was the only one that was passive. All of the others were an activity, 
Whereas like music, you could lay on the floor, hit play, and just totally take a sound bath or an emotional bath, if you will, and allow that music for three to five minutes or however long to comfort you. And I think it's, it's like so profound to, to, to think about because, you know, all of that kind of happened before the pandemic and now the pandemic happened. And I think the marriage of it taking a pandemic for the world to stop and to ask ourselves, what kind of life am I living? You know, it's just like, okay, do I really need to be carrying all this? And so I think, you know, it took a pandemic for the world to stop and like ask ourselves of like, do I need to be living in a certain place? Do I need to be associated with certain people? Do I need to be spending my time on something that isn't really me? And so it's tremendous. And so with this album, Breathe, that really was that invitation of saying, give yourself some grace of what you've been through. And now let's work through all of this stuff that we're trying to let go of to exhale. And um, yeah, kind of where we are. So the interesting thing about how I compose, it's a little different than what most people hear. And when I get asked, hey, what inspires you to, as far as music is concerned? I, I feel really terrible because I burst the bubble of the person that's asking. I'm not one of those people that get inspired by an activity or a sunset or, you know, I don't see like a flower. I'm like, I'm going to write a song for that flower. Um, I wish I could. I think life would be easier. Um, as far as how I work musically speaking, I have to wait until I get a melody in my head and then I get another melody in my head and then another and then another. And I allow these melodies to build up to the point where I'm like, okay, okay, okay. It's time to write an album. It's time to sit down at the piano and literally write out these melodies note for note. Because what I found is when I tried to like write, you know, an hour a day or 30 minutes a day. It just fell flat. There was no emotional context to it. It just sounded like someone was sitting down and doing math, in my opinion. And so I literally have to wait for that season where my mind is like, okay, let's, we have something to say. We want to tell you what it is. And what's interesting about this is usually when I'm writing out the song, I have no idea what it's about. And so I'm writing out the melody. I always write out melody first because melody is... Melody is the most important thing to me. Um, everything starts with the melody. And so I have the melody and then I craft the song around the melody. And then I work through it. I play through the song and then it eventually through time, it will tell me what the song is about, but it's at various times. So normally the process is when I then go and record the album, I'll take about a month off from listening to it. I just want to like detach it and just kind of clear my head a little bit. And then when I go and sit down after about a month, I have a stack of books. I'm a huge reader. I love poetry and I'll have it on in the background and I'll just sit and I'll just read. I'll just take my time, not even focusing on what I'm hearing. <clears throat> and then I'll read through something and then I'll say, huh, this kind of feels like this song. And so I take inspiration from what the song is telling me while I'm reading. 
Now, there are times, for instance, there was um, a song called Fields of Forever. And as we were recording this at Abbey Road, there's a cellist named Peter Grexen and a violinist named Esther Yu, and they're on this recording. And I still, you know, to this day, I had no idea what the song was about. And so we're sitting there, you know, recording, the red light is on, and we're playing through the song, and I just start getting images of my mom and dad in their most favorite, memorable moments. And not like weddings and big events, but like just the everyday mundane thing, like a picnic or driving on the parkway or something. And those, those images just started flooding me during this recording. And I had lost my dad about almost two years ago. Um, and so it was really just like so emotional and just hearing, you know, seeing all of these emotions while recording this song live, like right there in the moment. And I almost started like just sobbing while we're recording this. And I wanted to be like, okay, that's great. This is what this song is about, but not right now. Why are you doing this right now? Um, but many times I actually don't name the songs until after that period of a month. So each song going into the session is C minor, B flat, D flat, right? And so like, I actually still remember those songs being titled that more than I do the, the names of the songs. Um, on certain occasions, there have been maybe four or five times that I have been somewhat inspired by, you know, something in particular, but for the most part, it's really, really rare. Yeah. It, it's really fascinating your whole process, uh, to hear that. And by the way, Peter, he was on this podcast last year, actually. So oh, I got I love to speak. Yeah. He's a great guy. Um, another question here, uh, fields of study outside of music, and maybe it doesn't apply to you, but I am here. I want to ask the question, art, design, architecture, fashion, film, any of those kind of creative industries, do those, um, speak to you and influences your composing? My dad was a furniture designer. And so I grew up with him always home and then always just designing. And the interesting thing is we would go. And we would go to other furniture stores or antique stores or museums. And I, it was interesting because like the things that I thought he would find like fascinating in design were so wrong. I mean, like so completely opposite. And as more and more as I learned from him, everything kind of went back to like the minimalist approach. Right. So like everything that I thought would be like, that's just stunning. Look how the mastery and the craft behind this. And he's like, oh yeah, it's nice. It's nice. But then he would like see like a this simple, simple chair and he'd be like, that's gorgeous. I'm like, what? why? You know, and he was like, you have to remove everything that's around you. You have to like, you know, it's like when they used to carve, like, you know, Michelangelo and, and, and Da Vinci, you know, they would, they take this block. And what I was reading is, they wouldn't have the mindset of like, I'm going to carve out David. They had the mindset of like, I need to get rid of everything that's covering up David. And that's powerful when you think of art in that way. And that was the idea behind the Chopin variations. I have chills right now. I'm so glad you brought this up. And that was the, the, the mindset behind the album Chopin variations is I wanted to see, well, there's two things. I wanted to introduce Chopin to the Spotify generation. Right. So you have this young audience that has never listened to classical music before because no fault of their own. They've just never been introduced to it. 
And so it's like, okay, how do we bring Chopin to an audience that maybe has never been introduced? And the other side is, if Chopin were, were to record an album today, what would it sound like? And so can we take Chopin's material and scale it back tremendously? So if like one measure had six notes, what happens if we only have two of those melodic notes in there? Would it still stand on its own? Would it still be beautiful? And of course it is. And, and, and that's what I was so intrigued by. So what I did is actually, I photocopied the show, the sheet music, and then I went through like a jazz chart. And so I just kind of said, okay, this is B flat minor. This is an F, whatever. And then I would go through and I would just mark out most of the melody just to see, okay, well that really works. That doesn't work. Let's, let's you know, go with this. And it, it stood on its own gorgeously because not because of me, but because of the writing behind it. And it's like the simplistic nature of like, how do we create something with like, just look at the Bach chorales, four notes, magic, like still mind blowing. I was, I was reviewing some of it last night, to be honest. And it was like, how does he go from here to here with just four notes? So, um, you know, my dad having the influence with design with that, and then with film, I just love film. I, I love all types of films. I love kind of like um, off-beaten path uh, kind of things. Um, just because I love, take this the right way, I love ugly things. I like things that aren't pretty. And my wife is like, I don't know how to take that. I'm not quite sure. But you, 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 <laughs> it's like, you know, what I loved about, you know, certain parts of Brooklyn where we were there is it was gritty. You know, what I loved about Berlin before, you know, the last couple of years, it was gritty. You know, so it's just like you have this element of not everything has to be shiny and perfect, right? It's usually when it's been polished and polished and polished and polished that all of a sudden it no longer has what it was meant to do or to show that it's been seasoned, that it's like gone through. This is really interesting because I've actually never had this conversation before. You know, if, if you think about it, when you have somebody that's been so polished so much, it's almost like, why are you stripping away everything that I've been through? Right? You know, it's very, I, like, profound. very profound, very profound podcasts um, called calm it down. And one of the episodes is called scars of hope. And I love talking about this um, because in life, like we, we get, we go through things, some traumatic, some not, and you know, some of them is really scarring like emotionally. And so like, what if we take that idea of those scars and showing them as your stripes of like, this is what I've gone through and I made it through because I was strong enough to get through. But the, the other side of this is now those people wearing those stripes, their role is to look for people that still have the scars that aren't quite strong enough to make it through yet. And so that person is like, Hey, I've been through what you're going through. I want to help you with this. Right. And so like when we, when we take something and we polish it so much, we're just like, whoa, 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 that's not. It's not really who you are. Um, it, I mean, the funny thing about like even creating, going back to your point about how do you create in the process, up until this album, what I would generally do is I would have those melodies written out and I would have the chords and I would have a sketch of what the song was. And so I would go into the recording studio and then I would see where the song would take me. 
because most of the times it was solo piano. And with this album, it was funny because like we had a string arranger and we had like the Royal Philharmonic and we had like, all these other people involved. And so the string arranger, his brilliant person out of the UK, his name is Jeff Lawson, no relationship whatsoever. And, and so I would send him these demos. And so he'd say, okay, this one song, the first demo in this measure on beat three, you're playing a C. But on the second demo, that measure beat three, you're playing E flat. What, which one are you going to be playing? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of like <laughs> improvising. And he was like, you can't do that. <laughs> he's like, we have, <laughs> he's like, we have too many people involved. He's like, I need to like make sure. And so the interesting thing behind this though, is that, um, okay. And so this album, you know, going into recording, it was so incredibly well rehearsed, which was like almost kind of like made my skin crawl in a roundabout way because it was like so practiced by the time I got there, I knew it in and out. But I will say there was a freeing sense behind that because now all of a sudden you've got this massive orchestra that can play anything you throw in front of them. And you've got this, you know, guy at the piano that dropped out of, you know, college only two years in and he's like, hey, I want you to play some of my songs. And so... <laughs> You know, I'm getting like this, you know, feeling like an inch tall and, and, but the amazing thing was like, as soon as we started, it just felt right. It was because I was so prepared and it was because like, I knew I could enjoy, I could be present and like what the experience was. That's why I was like in tears with, you know, Peter and, and, and Esther, because like I could be embraced in that i could be in that moment of like just listening instead of stressing and worrying about oh what comes next what measure am i playing right am i playing this or whatever So I'm a pretty devout transcendental meditationist. Um, so 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the late afternoon. So I started learning transcendental meditation. I was on a flight and it was one of those you know, last minute, pick up a book like at the bookstore, just cause it looked cool, like in the airport. And I was like, oh, this, you know, it's David Lynch. I'll read it. This sounds fascinating. I love him anyway. And so he really started going into transcendental meditation, which he's a huge proponent of and actually has David Lynch Transcendental Meditation Foundation. Um, because the book is called um, Catching the Big Fish or something like that. And it was about the creative process. And a lot of it stemmed from his uh, practice of meditation. I'm like, this is really interesting, really fascinating. And obviously it's vetted because you have someone as creative as he is, that's obviously doing something right. And so I got home and I searched for the local transcendental meditation place because you, it's a one-on-one -on -one learning mentorship for five days. So you don't just start it. Um, and that really began to like, sorry, the spider web. So it's a five day training, but I made it a seven day. So I wanted like no piano the day before. I didn't touch the piano for the five days of the training. And then I didn't touch the piano for the day after. So it was like a rest, learn, rest kind of thing. 
And then when I went and sat at the piano after the learning session for the very first time, I played with a freedom I had never experienced ever. And mm. it was just like, okay, this is kind of surreal. And so meditation for me has been able to take those just, you know, 50,000 thoughts that we have every day and bring them down to one thing and be like, okay, I see where you are. I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm acknowledging you, but I'm just going to dismiss you because you're not what I want to focus on. And so being able to do that, like in an artistic, creative environment, that's something that isn't really taught because a lot of the times as creatives, you know, we're constantly self-judging. We're constantly self-doubting ourselves, And we're saying, is this creative enough? Am I playing fast enough? Am I playing slow enough? Am I, are people even enjoying this? Is this boring? Right. And so like we get bombarded with all of these thoughts before we even sit at our craft and what we're supposed to be doing. So transcendental meditation really enabled me to bring all of those thoughts into practice. Now, the interesting thing is once I started studying the marriage of music and mental health, I started saying, okay, yes, these happy hormones make us feel good, but what else, what else is going on? Right? I'm an extreme empath by nature. And so I really liked the idea of like trying to figure out how music can make people feel better. So once the pandemic hit, I was grounded. I couldn't travel, I couldn't tour. And so I said, well, I still want to stay relevant with the listening audience. So what do I do with this? And so that's where the idea of creating the podcast, Calm It Down came into play. So I was home and I said, you know what? It's going to be well, maybe two or three months with this whole COVID thing. Let me just go ahead and just do this for the interim. And obviously it was a little bit longer than that, but the podcast really began to take on a life of itself. Because what was interesting is people were finding the podcast either through music or the other way around. They would find the podcast and then find my music. And now at the point, you know, it's over 2 million downloads. It started in September of 20 and uh, roughly around 60,000 listeners a week. <laughs> I don't advertise. I don't monetize on it. That's amazing. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> I'm, it's really, you know, it's just a testament of like what people are going through right now. And so the interesting thing is like, you know, you bring up the point about wellness and such. The interesting thing is that really opened up the door of just saying, okay, I want to do more, right? Like what about those people that maybe don't listen to music? How can I like continue to bring comfort, to bring some healing, just bring a different perspective into what they're going into. And the interesting thing is I'm a pretty uh, diehard yogi. Uh, I do it every day. Actually, I was literally like seconds just before we started, I had finished a, 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 an hour. And during the practice of yoga, one of the key things that you focus on is your breathing, is your breath. And if you look at Chinese medicine, you know, like acupuncture, they correlate a part of the body to certain part of emotions. So if you think about it, when you hear something, when you receive news, that's really just terrible, just like terrible news. What happens? Like physiologically, what happens? Well, our lungs begin to spasm. We, our eyes begin to fill up with, you know, water. And our, our lungs are the ones that are controlling, that are trying to be like, okay, I need comfort right now. And it's our lungs that are doing this before our mind even like comes into place with it, before we even think about it. Or if you think about the other side of it, when you see someone you haven't seen in a long time, or when you're really excited, oh, hey, what's going on? 
So the lungs are the root of every emotion that we have. And so it's like, how do you tie in now the limbic system of music and emotions? And how do you bring that into breathing? And that's where I came upon breath work. It's just like, okay, I'm already meditating, you know, twice a day. What if we get to the point where like those people that don't know how to meditate, right? So I don't know if you remember that like as a kid, you would like be out in the yard and you'd put your arms wide open and you'd spin in circles really, really fast. And all of a sudden you'd fall to the ground and you'd watch the sky like to spin while you're just laying there still. And that's what a lot of people experience when they're, when they're trying to meditate. They're just like, okay, I'm sitting still, my eyes are closed, but my mind is still spinning. I don't know what to do. And that's where breath work comes into play, right? It's like, if we can get someone to learn how to like, just breathe for three minutes, you begin to see this change. I'm in Stanford at the moment. I just led a breathwork session yesterday at Stanford. And it was tremendous. No pressure. I mean, they're only like the leading university for neuroscience and breathing. Um, but it was interesting to see, like, you know, I have them do certain activities, mostly with their eyes closed. And you see grown adults just like, just like sobbing, just crying. Because what's happening when we do breath work, what's happening when we do mindfulness is we're going back to that whole polish thing of like polishing things, you know, of like making them really pretty. What we're trying to do is like leave that grit of life a part of us because what we've tried to do in life is we've tried to polish everything that we are to kind of like make us look shiny. When we do it, we're just putting on layers of stuff that doesn't really fit to begin with. And so through breath work, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take this heart that we've kind of like hardened a lot around it to protect itself. You know, we think that we're protecting it. And so what we have to do now is we have to dethaw the ice that's around this heart. And the way that we do that is by breathing. And the reason why like we sit with our eyes closed and we're you know, our mind is spinning and racing or we say, I'm bored. This is so boring. A lot of times we're quote unquote bored because we're not ready to go to that place yet of dealing with those things that we haven't wanted to deal with or to work through those things that we just kind of like, I'll do that tomorrow. I'm not really emotionally ready for that. Right. And so like, if we get to that point where we can just three minutes of just focus breathing, because what's going to happen is that three minutes is then going to lead to five. And that five minutes is eventually going to lead to 10 because you begin to feel better and better and better while you're doing it. So for me, you know, mental health, emotional health, wellness, all of this is a really big thing for me emotionally, for me personally. And that's what I want to bring into what I'm doing creatively as well. Again, it's not about Chad Lawson. It's about creating a platform that allows healing for people and what they're going through. So that's really important to me. What is one specific product you highly recommend? Uh, and really the field is open for what you can recommend. Oh, um, can you walk me through just a little bit? And so when we say products, yeah, so it could be um, a, a wine, it could be food, it could be tech, oh, it could be skincare. Oh, oh man, I'm so sorry. Um, yes. Well, what's something I'd ever leave without traveling? So um, 
Alo Yoga, A-L-O Yoga. Um, I'm a big believer. I use their app every day. I've done some blogs for them. Um, it's one of those places where like in the very beginning, I didn't know where to start with yoga. I didn't know where to start with mindfulness. And so I Googled it and I came upon it. There was a guy on there. His name was Josh Kramer. And uh, I just started working through his classes. And now I'm working through this other, you know, various classes, whatever. Um, but I have their blocks. I have their mats. And they literally, they never leave my suitcase. Uh, my two kids are really getting into yoga right now. The youngest, he's a gymnastics freak in nature. And uh, I find him like stealing all of my blocks all the time. So I'm like, stop stealing this stuff. And uh, so, you know, I have to, I bought a, an extra set of uh, mat and blocks to like keep in my luggage and just stow away so they can stop stealing. <laughs> no. So yeah, anything, anything created by Alo, A-L-O yoga, for sure. What restaurant or bar do you love to eat at when you're in New York City? So when I was living in New York, I was taking lessons, uh, private piano lessons down at the new school. And it was my favorite night of the week because what I would do is I would go take my lesson. And then afterwards, I would go to an Italian place called Crispo, C-R-I-S-P-O. Well, it's not there anymore because of the pandemic. Um, which is really, really bummed. It really makes me sad. But my favorite place in New York isn't necessarily a restaurant. I have the biggest sweet tooth on the East Coast. Uh, my wife is a professional baker. I will eat anybody under the table as far as sweets are concerned. Um, so my favorite place is in Greenpoint, and it's called Peter Pan Donuts. So we live in Greenpoint when I lived there, and uh, this is way before Peter Pan's has blown up. They have their own Instagram now. They were featured in a Spider-Man movie. I'm really happy for them. I really am. I'm saying that like in the most polite way, but I'm also kind of like, oh man, everybody knows about the spot now. Um, but Peter Pan's donuts, by far the best donuts on the planet, for sure. <laughs> I love that. Let's take a quick break. Did you know Classical Post is a brand built for your pleasure by Gold Sound Media? a New York creative studio developing content for music lovers around the United States. We're always looking for new opportunities to partner with music presenters, artists, and record labels. If you're interested in content to build your community, please get in touch. Head to goldsoundmedia.com. Now, back to the show. What do you want listeners to take away after listening to the album? Um, so what I would love for listeners to be able to take away from listening to this album, Breathe, is two things. It's okay to be calm. It's okay to like take a breath and a sigh. And the other thing is to allow that space of self-forgiveness, which I think is something that's really hard, not only for myself, but just in general. Um, and then to also turn back and reflect on what we've experienced, not only the last two years, but just other times and try to find how that experience was 
meant for you. You know, if you look at the pandemic, it was disastrous. Like many people, like lost their lives and there was a lot of struggling going on. But we also have to look at this in the sense of here's two years that of our lives that we have now want to turn around and be like, okay, what is the most important thing in my life now after going through this? How do I recognize like those things that truly are like the highlight of why I get up every day? And that's really what I'm hoping that we can take that time to reflect and say, you know, there's a song in there called Irreplaceable. And it's funny because you know, I've received so many, you know, emails and questions and be like, well, who is your irreplaceable? I really want to know. And irreplaceable isn't a person. It's not a particular person that I thought about. Irreplaceable is like, what is like one of those most favorite moments or people or place in your life that will never be replaced because they're not meant to be replaced. They're meant to be cherished. And so it's like, we have this idea of like, always trying, I don't say always, we have this idea of wanting to go back to what we think is amazing. Like, oh, that was so wonderful if only I could go back. But if we look at it and say, hey, that was a really wonderful time. I so appreciate that. It was really wonderful. Do I miss it? Yes, but it is also really beautiful. And so now I want to continue and see what else is coming up ahead that is beautiful. And that's really what I'm hoping that people understand and learn with this album is that Every single thing we have the opportunity to look back and say, okay, what is that one element of why I got through it and how do I embrace that? Yeah. Excellent. One final question. What does success mean to you? I joke that I chose the wrong career and it's mainly because I don't like the spotlight. I don't like attention. I, I don't like. If I could be behind the stage, I would be behind the stage. And so the idea of like, you know, what is success? It's really difficult for me to answer that because that was never my intent in getting into where we are right now. But I had kind of a, a eureka moment recently, like literally, like, like within the past few months. Uh, if my role is to be in front of people, regardless of how I feel about it, what is it that I want to have the microphone for? And I think that's where the, my attention has been able to say, okay, this may not be what I want to be doing. I may not want this attention. I may not want to be on the cover of a music magazine in China, which was blowing my mind. But if I can amplify the importance of emotional health, of mental health, and of being able to take care of ourselves, that's the reason why I'm on stage. That's the reason why I have a microphone. But in the last few weeks, I've had a number of schools and nonprofits reach out and say, hey, can Chad please come and speak to our school? Our, our school has just been riddled with gun violence and the kids are just broken. Can he just come and talk to them? That's what I'm meant to be doing. And that to me is success is like to where you are touching people's lives with the craft that you're doing. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, you know, I, my day is waking up, doing yoga, getting a coffee, playing some piano in front of people 
and, you know, going out and trying to find the best pastry, like whatever city I'm in, it's, I, I, I'm grateful for what I get to do, but at the end of the day, what is it that I can bring that I can offer to people that are going through a really difficult time? And once that lands somewhere and I start hearing from people, be it the podcast or be it music that are saying, Hey, you know what? This is really, you know, touching me. It's helping me. That to me is success. Thanks for listening to the Classical Post podcast. I hope you have found it meaningful and that it gave you new ideas to cultivate your creativity to be better in business and life. So let's stay in touch. Remember to follow this podcast to get notified of new episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter for album recommendations and editorial on leading artists. Just head to classicalpost.com slash subscribe.